God is good. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Are you all okay? Doing well? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you okay? Are you sick? Coughing? Pain in your body? No. If any of our members, you go through difficulty during this time, please contact us, all right? Online people also. We're here to help you. We want to be a blessing to you. We want to support you in our prayers. Even if you're outside Nagaland, in different parts of India, and you have some needs, feel free to call us, message us. We're here to pray for you, to support you. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. A journey into the Father's heart. We want to see God for who He really is. Can you just put your hands on your heart and say this with me? Father God, reveal to me the deep and intimate knowledge of who you are. Open the eyes of my heart, O oh Lord, that I may see and I may know who you really are and that my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name. The greatest revelation that the world needs in such times is that God is love and God is a father. When we see God for who He really is, it changes our behavior. It changes our peace, our strength. People who worship their God become like them. When you worship idols, you become like the idols. Dead, there's no life. But when you worship a true and living God, you become like that. So that's why when you worship a God of miracles and signs and wonders and power and love, our lives reflect His nature. And that's why in such times of the pandemic, what is really needed is a true, accurate picture of God. Not a God some people are preaching right now who is condemning and judging and avenging the world through this sickness. But I want to show you from Luke chapter 15 today that our God is a Father who loves us and is waiting for us to come home to Him. Amen. Luke chapter 15. Jesus speaks three parables in response to the Pharisees who were scandalized that Jesus was fraternizing with the worst people in the community, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. He was allowing them to touch him. He was eating together with them, talking to them, spending the whole night in conversation with them. And they could not understand that this holy man is fellowshipping with them and they were scandalized. And that's why Jesus gives them three parables. Number one, about the lost sheep. Number two, about the lost coin. And number three, about the lost son who comes back home. All these three parables are reflecting the heart of the Trinity. And that is God loves sinners. The rhythm of God's heart is grace. He is for the lost. He is for sinners. Number two, God is not an angry God. He's not a vengeful God. He's not a judgmental God. Number three, that God is not a distant God. He is touchable. Touchable. You can touch Him today. Every one of you. But above all, number four, Jesus is revealing that God is a father. A father. When I was in college in Delhi, we would go to a lot of rock shows, different 
colleges would have these rock shows. And most rock bands would always sing this song. And when they would sing the song, the entire crowd would just lift up their hands and sing along with it. Do you want to know what the song was? I can't get no satisfaction. Heard that song, anyone? It's by the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger. It was written in 1965. But we were in the 90s. But we were still singing with it. And even nowadays, in the millennium, people are still singing that song. Why? That's because that song is echoing the emptiness and the void that are in the hearts of people even today. It's not just a song. It's reflecting the spirit of the times. There's another band in the 80s called U2. Anyone heard of the band? They wrote a song called, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's another song we should sing in those concerts. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Anyone heard that song? See, if you look at Rolling Stones today, they still haven't found any satisfaction. And you two are still looking for what they haven't found. See, that song is reflecting the hearts of the people. But the heart of the people is reflecting a curse that God said in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 to 6 will be upon the earth in the last days. I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Before the coming of Christ in the last days, God will send Elijah. Whether it is literal Elijah, because he did not die, he was sent up to him, or a revival that will restore the prophetic ministry, which is what Elijah was, a prophet. There would be a move of God in the last days that will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or God says, lest I strike the earth with a curse. So this is a picture here. If the hearts of the fathers are turned away from the children and the children from the fathers, and there's a generational divide and there's this gap, there's a curse upon the earth. It's a curse. But if the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children and the children to the fathers and that gap is healed, there is a blessing. Understand this now from our social history in the past. In the 60s, there was a hippie movement that exploded primarily from the West, but it went all over the world. And even in India, a lot of hippies would come, Goa, Kashmir, looking for drugs. So it was drugs, sex, and rock and roll that characterized the hippie movement. And we saw a breakdown of morality and spiritual standards during this time. There was a sexual revolution, rock and roll revolution, and drugs. At the same time, there was the rise of a feminism movement, which largely was positive. And I'm all for women's rights, equality in the workplace, in, in the church even. But with the rise of feminism, there was also the rise of radical feminism or militant feminism, which purpose is to remove the power and authority of men from all forms of authority structure, particularly against patriarchy. 
Now, they never say that they're against men. They're against patriarchy and male chauvinism. But, you know, the con conversations can get blurred. People can get confused. And many times, we, since we're imperfect people, even though we have right motives, our voices can come out in an imperfect way to the point where the true image of men, fathers, and family began to be attacked by this radical feminism. And so around that same time, we saw that the image of, the biblical image of family began to be attacked. The biblical image of a father and a man, a true man, began to be attacked to the point where those concepts and ideas became very unpopular even through media. And media began to project the image of a man that was different from the Bible. The image of a family that was different from the Bible. So the Western world today has largely, through media, turned the backs on the biblical image of a family. Father, mother, the father is the head of the home. The families are all in submission to the father. They've turned the backs on that image. They've turned the backs on the image of what the father should be and what a man is according to the scriptures. And they've created other images, other models. But what it has done is that it has corroded the strength that is there in the society. Because from the 60s onwards, you will notice if you study social history, that divorces doubled. Till the 50s, it was up to a certain extent, but from the 60s to 70s, divorces began to explode, particularly in the West, and also now here in this part of the world. To the point now, 50 to 60% of marriages end in divorce. West, Western statistics. But it's not just unbelievers, even in the church, in the West, 50 to 60% of marriages of Christians also end in divorce. Which means that 50 to 60% of children are growing up with a single parent or in a fatherless home. And most of these are actually fatherless children. So what has happened is that over the years, we have seen a fatherless generation. Criminologists, social scientists say, now again, this is a study from the West, that 70% of criminals come from fatherless homes, broken homes. 70% of people in prisons are because they've been brought up in a broken home, a fatherless home. One prominent author, a psychiatrist says this, that the United States is increasingly becoming a fatherless society. Fatherlessness is the leading cause of declining children's well-being providing the impetus behind social problems such as crime, domestic violence, sexual abuse, poor school performance, mental health issues, substance abuse, and adolescent pregnancy. What is the point I'm making? The curse that we see on the earth today, not only the main curse, one of the forms of the curse is this fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. We are seeing more and more fatherlessness in a society in these days. And that's why there's this aching void in the hearts of men that cannot be filled by money, wealth, pleasure, or any other pursuits. Because we were created to be loved. Of course, primarily by our Heavenly Father, but also in our earthly relationships. 
And that's where God wants to release this message that He is love and that He is a Father to revive the church in our times. The message of the Father heart of God. And this message is what the world needs in order to be restored to the grace of God. Most of the world today see the church as hateful. Bigoted. Hypocrites. Because they haven't seen the true message of the Father heart of God spoken by the church. Most of the time we only speak about what we hate, what we are against, what we don't like. Rather than they hearing a message that God is love, God is a Father, God is a compassionate God. This is the message the world needs to be restored to the grace of God. So let's go to Luke chapter 15 and let's see the picture of a heavenly father in the story of the prodigal son. The picture of a heavenly father. This is the prodigal father. The word prodigal means wasteful, reckless, extremely generous. This is not the story of the prodigal son. There are actually two sons in this story. One son chose the world, the other son chose religion. Both sons did not know the father. That the father is really, really a generous giver, compassionate father, forgiving father. A certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Have you ever gone to your father and said, please give me my inheritance? No, you don't do that because that's disrespectful. Inheritance only comes after you die. So this son to go and tell the father, give me my inheritance, it's like saying, please die. Juldi Muribi, I cannot wait to get my hands on your sports car. I want you out of the house because I want this house for myself. The son here has despised the father. Despised. And the son here is reflecting the spirit of our times wherein we see through media that God is being despised everywhere, our heavenly father. Not only that, the true picture of a father in the family is despised, is ridiculed nowadays. The images of father in different forms of society, authority is being despised. For whatever reason, this, this son despised the father. It could also reflect the spirit of certain people in the church who are dissatisfied with God, in a relationship with God, with the Bible, with the church, fellowshipping with Christian friends. And they start thinking, the world is more fun. There's more joy in the world. There's more meaning in my worldly friends. And they begin to leave the Father's house and go out into the world. Many Christians are like that. This son is reflecting this to us today. But see this. The father divided to them his livelihood. The father is gracious. He was not angry. He was not controlling. He was not a despot that many people think God is. The father allowed him to exercise his free will. See, God today, no matter how much he loves you, allows you to exercise your free will. Let's look at the next verse. And not many days after the son 
gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and they wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Let's look at the next word, journey. All of us are on a journey. Did you know that? Today you made a decision to come to church. That decision is putting you in a certain direction of your life. That if you will continue in this decision, you will end up in a good place. Hallelujah. See, every decision that you make every day, every thought that you're holding in your heart and mind, every choice you make is a journey. It's a journey. It's a daily journey. You get up in the morning and you exercise for five days. Next day, you get up and you exercise for five days. That's a journey because it's going to take you to a certain place. You go to school every day, it's a journey. It's going to take you to a certain destination. All of us are in the journey of life. What journey are you on? Very important. What are you thinking? What are you deciding? Because this journey can either take you closer to the Father or it can take you to a far country. This son despised his father, began to complain and grumble, walk out of the father's house. And before he knew it, he was far from his father, far away. You see, the longest journey I've ever been on when I was 16 years old was from Delhi to America. It took me about 36 hours. You know how it started? My mother came to my hostel. I was studying in Delhi. And she told me, I won a free ticket to America for my old school because I topped the school. So you're going to go in America? I said, when? Now! So immediately I was taken out of the hostel, put into a car, driven to Nagaland house where I washed up, changed my clothes, ate something, rested for a while. And then I got into another car and I went to the airport. And then they said, bye. And I was this apprehensive 16-year-old boy walking into the immigration, not knowing what to do. But guess what? In 36 hours, I was in Oklahoma City, far away from Delhi. But that journey started with small steps. Small steps, small steps, small steps, daily steps, small steps. See, your journey into drug addiction starts with small steps. Your journey into anger and hatred starts with small steps. Your journey into alcoholism starts with small steps. You don't just become an alcoholic overnight. Small steps. Your journey far from God started with small steps. Small steps. Small steps. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions. Agatha Christie wrote a book. I don't remember the exact title right now. It's just coming to my mind. Where the detective, Hercule Poirot, if I um, say it correctly, was actually going to investigate in a certain club, a nightclub, which was underneath the ground. So he had to go through the steps into the basement. So the first step, this was written. Let me find it out. It's okay. Everyone is doing it is the first step down to the basement. The second step is, I will confess my sins and start again. 
The third step is, no one can see me. It's fine. Let me continue. But each step is taking you further and further away from God. Number four, I can give up anytime I want. Usually when you are completely bound is when people say, I can give up anytime I want. Right? Have you ever talked talk to drug addicts, alcoholics? I'm not an addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I can give up anytime I want. That's when they are completely bound. You see, the deception is this. You don't know you are being sucked by your good intentions into a far country away from God. Now what happens when you come to a far country? Look at what happened to this young man. He wasted his possessions. When you go far from God, on whatever journey you are, you will waste your life. Young men, now this. Looking for love in all the wrong places, meaning and satisfaction in all the wrong things, end up wasted. Potential wasted, intellect wasted, energy wasted, years wasted, education wasted. Why? Looking for meaning in all the wrong places. Michael Jackson looked for it in fame and entertainment. His talent, his life tragically wasted. Young people look for peace and joy and drugs and alcohol and pleasure. They get wasted. Many people look for meaning in wrong sexual relationships. The bodies are wasted. Consequences of their decision. See, God did not create you to be wasted. God created you to be fruitful. To live purposeful lives. Your journey is important. Hallelujah. Let's go on reading. But when he had spent all there, arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Famine. When he had spent all, you expect satisfaction, right? When you pay the price, you expect the product to be good for you. But this young man spent everything and he was in a famine and he began to be in want. In other words, I can get no satisfaction was written for this young man. Do you feel spent today? You've tried hard. You've worked hard. You've looked for meaning and love in all the wrong places. And yet you're empty. You're lonely. You feel spent, worn out, tired. You know, when I was in college, I bought I bought the lie. What lie? That my identity was in my clothes and my shoes. So I look for branded products. I bought the lie that if I pursue parties and pleasure, I would find meaning and satisfaction. It was a lie. Guess what happened? I ended up feeling spent, depressed, empty on the inside. See, Satan is like the shopkeeper who always sells you duplicate products. He always sells you the wrong goods. And he lies to us. He lies to us through money, through pleasure, through achievements, whatever it may be. That our happiness is in these things. He told Adam and Eve, 
that you will become like God. But when they ate the fruit, they became sinners. He tells you that you will find your happiness in drugs, but all you get is misery. He tells you to cheat in order to be corrupt, in order to prosper, but you end up poor in spirit. See, Satan and sin will never give you what they advertise. Every decision choice you make, every lifestyle which is taking you away from God will always take you to a far country and you will not know where you are. You will be with strangers. You will never feel at home. Where your possessions, your health, your wealth, your talents, your years of purpose will be wasted and despite spending all your time and effort, you will still be empty and you will be in the famine of your heart. And that's why even today, in the 90s, in the millennium, we still sing, I can't get no satisfaction. Because that song reflects the heart of the people. Look at society today. Try to feel the pulse of the young generation. What do we see? No satisfaction. All the smiles on social media, all the likes you get, and you're still lonely. Despite all the advancement in business, in economics, in science, emptiness of heart, loneliness. Despite every imaginable pleasure available, our souls are still starving of love and acceptance, belongingness. What is this? This It's the aching void in our hearts. And this young man joined himself, the Bible says, to a citizen of that country, hoping that this man can help him. This man, the citizen of that country, is a cheap imitation of his father. He looked to him for help, hoping that this man will feed me because I'm in hunger. But rather than feeding him, he sent him to the swine. Made him do what he never wanted to do. You know what it means? When you look for cheap imitations of God outside the church and outside the relationship with God and you hope that money can give you meaning, you hope that His pleasure can give you satisfaction, you hope that His wrong relationship can give you love, ultimately you will end up a slave of that habit, that substance. And you will end up doing things you never want to do. Hanging out with the swines. And none of them would give him anything he wanted, the Bible says. In fact, they did not feed him. It's a picture of Satan. Of course, Satan never comes to you as Satan. He comes in all the various disguises. He comes as money. He comes as achievements. He comes as vanity. He comes as wrong relationship. He comes in those beautiful forms as an angel of light. But when we join to him, he will not give you what you wanted. Love, peace, joy. Rather, he will send you to the swine. What is that? You get disturbed every night. You cannot sleep. You're full of guilt, full of pain. What's that? The swines are visiting you. Your bed is a bed of depression. What is that? You're sleeping with the swines. Every night you're afraid, panic attack. What is that? You're sleeping with the swines. But praise God, he came to his senses and said, 
I'm going to go back to my father's house. Even the servants have food enough to eat. He realized his father is a good father. He's a good God. Generous. So look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Listen to this very carefully. You may not have the power to give up your addiction and your sins right now or to give up whatever you're struggling with. But you need to make a decision like this son. You need to have a willingness in your heart to say, I'm going to go to my father and take help. I'm going to trust in the grace of God no matter where you are. That decision no one can make for you. Not even God. And the moment she makes this decision, he's coming back to the father's house. What does he get when he comes to the father's house? An angry father? A judgmental father? A rebuking father? If he was an Indian father, he would say, look at this rascal, he has come back. Bollywood father? South Indian father? What would you get? The father will turn up his face. The mother will come and say, don't, don't beat, don't beat your son. Right? What did he find when he comes back? Let's give you five pictures of a heavenly father here. Number one, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. The father saw him when he was a great way off. How did the father see him? Question. How did the father know which day he was coming and what time he was coming? There was no way. You know what it means? It means this. The father was every day looking. And he would come back the next day and he would look. In other words, you see the picture of a longing father. Waiting father. Waiting for the day when his son would come home. He was not in anger and in, and in hatred. Fatherlessness is a leading cause of declining child well-being, providing the impetus behind social problems such as crime, domestic violence, sexual abuse, poor school performance, mental health issues, substance abuse, and adolescent pregnancy. Fatherlessness drives people to such abuses. The curse is this. Fatherlessness is without doubt the curse of our times. In society. That's what creates this aching void in the hearts of all men. And therefore in such times, the truth about God, that He is a God of love and He is our Heavenly Father. He's a Father who is filled with love towards this world is the message that the church needs in order to be revived and the world needs in order to be restored to the grace of God. And that is why Luke chapter 15. Let's turn there and go to verse 11. The father here is a picture of God. The son here is a picture of you and me. There are two sons here in this story. One son chose the world. One son chose religion. Both did not know God. Both really needed to know the heart of their father. But today we're going to look at the prodigal son. Alright, verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. 
Have you ever gone to your father and said, Father, give me all my inheritance? That's like telling your father, please die quickly. I can't wait for you to die so that I can drive your car. That is dishonor, disrespect. See, this son despised his father. I don't know why. Maybe he was listening to his friends. Maybe he was watching CNN too much. This father, this son despised his father. It's like the spirit of a liberal, media-driven world today where God is despised. Father images are despised, hated, disrespected. And this son is deceived into thinking that there is no satisfaction in his father's house. I can get no satisfaction in my father's house. It could also refer to many Christians who can't find any satisfaction in the relationship with God or in the church and they want to go out into the world because they are deceived into thinking the world can satisfy them. Their worldly friends can make them happy. The worldly pleasures can satisfy them, give them joy so they leave the Father's house like many Christians do. The church or their relationship with the Father. But you can see the father here, he's not controlling, he's not aggressive, he's not angry. He allows his son to exercise his free will just as our heavenly father is like this. He allows you to exercise your free will even if you choose sin. Look at verse 13. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, underline that and say far country. And they wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Do you know that all of us are on a journey? You are on a journey. Whatever you are thinking today, whatever you are choosing, whatever you are deciding is targeted towards a destination. Do you know that your daily habits is a journey? If you decide to pray today, if you decide to read the word today, it is pointing you into a specific journey with a destination. All of us are on a journey. Turn to a neighbor and say, you are on a journey. All of us, we are on a journey of life. And whatever you believe is pointing you to a specific destination. Whatever you decide has consequences. When I was 16 years old, I was suddenly thrust into the longest journey I had ever taken in my life. 36 hours all the way from Delhi to Oklahoma City. 16 years old, 1989. But do you know how this journey started? It started with my mother coming to my hostel and telling me I have won a free ticket to America from my old school. And suddenly, I was taken out of the hostel, put into a car, went to Nagaland House in Delhi, showered, changed, took dinner, changed again, got into another car all the way to the airport, and suddenly I was there in the admigration, scared little boy of 16 years old, not knowing what to expect. But in 36 hours, I was in America. That journey halfway across the world started with small steps. Small steps. Do you know that your journey into drug addiction started with small steps? It wasn't drugs immediately. Maybe it started with tobacco. And it started with smoking. And it started with drugs. But you couldn't get any satisfaction. See, Mick Jagger wrote that song about you. And that's when you ended up 
in drug addiction. Alcoholism. It didn't start immediately with alcoholism. It started with small steps. Your, you see, your journey into sexual immorality, it starts with small steps. Hey, small steps. Small steps. And without realizing it, you find out that you are in a far country, far from God and far from the Father's house. This son, maybe he heard some of the servants complaining. He didn't leave immediately after a few days. That means he started walking out of the father's house. He started walking out of the village and he started complaining and grumbling. By the time his heart was disconnected from the father and he started taking steps away from the father and without realizing it, he's in a far country, far from the father and far from the church. Many of you today are at some distance from God. Some of you are near, some of you are middle, some of you are far. And you know how it happened? It happened with small steps. Number one, it's like, it's okay. Everyone is doing it. And then you're there for three or four months. Then after a while, you say, I can confess and start again. So it's all right. I will just confess at the end of the day. But after a while, you start saying, no one can see me. I think it's fine. And after a while, you start saying like, I can give up anytime. It's all right. I can give up. But by the time you are here, you are far from God and you are bound. And then what happened? And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wasted. Everyone say wasted. Everyone say wasted. Ah, because he was far from the Father, his life became wasted. When you look for love, meaning, purpose, in all the wrong places, your life becomes wasted. Young people look for meaning in relationships, in parties, and pleasure, and it becomes a waste of the talent, the time, the energy, the potential. How many young people, potential, their lives are wasted because of wrong friends, wrong choices? We look for love in wrong relationships, our bodies get wasted. Our innocence gets wasted. Amen. See, God did not create us to be wasted. God created all of us to be fruitful. God created all of us to be purposeful. But because he was wasted, he ended up in a famine. Look at that. And when he had spent all that, he arose, there arose a famine in that land and it began to be in want. When he had spent all, he had spent all, there was a famine and it began to be in want. Do you feel spent today? Tired out, worn out, frustrated, bitter? If you feel spent, it's probably because you bought some things that you thought would fill your heart, but rather than filling your heart, it made you more frustrated. When I was in college, I bought, I bought the lie that parties would give me meaning, that substances would make me feel good, that branded clothes and shoes would give me identity. I bought that lie and I spent all I had to buy that lie. But do you know that Satan is like the shopkeeper who always cheats you? You will buy it, but he will always give you less than what you asked or he will give you the wrong product. And that's what happens when you choose anything away from God. You get cheated. 
And at the end of life, you realize that you have spent all your time, you spend all your energy, you have spent all your focus on these things, relationships, parties, substances, chasing after the things of the world, materialism and, and achievements, but all it gave you was an empty heart. Empty heart. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. God says that my people have done two things. Number one, they have forsaken me. They have walked away from the father's house. And number two, they have hewn cisterns for them that cannot hold water. And that's what is happening in life. We turn away from God. We run away from God. We think God does not satisfy me. And we try to find satisfaction in the world with buckets that are full of holes. Aching void in our hearts. Do you know that every decision, every choice, every lifestyle that is away from God, away from truth, will take you into a far country where you will be with strangers. Strangers who don't love you, who hate you. Do you know that Satan hates you? Every decision away from God, you're entering into Satan's territory and he hates you. He hates you. Oh, he hates you with all his heart. Every fiber of his being. And he wants to see your life destroyed. Every decision away from the Father will lead into his territory. And you will waste your possessions like the son. You waste your possessions. What are your possessions? Your health, your wealth, your talents, your future, your time, your youth, your potential. You will waste it all. And you will realize that you have spent all and yet you are still in want. You're still hungry. You're still empty. You're still frustrated because you are like living in a famine. Many Christians are living in spiritual famine. Maybe there are some of you here tonight. And that's why when Rolling Stone says, I can get no satisfaction, you're like, oh, I really connect with this song, yeah. Amen. Feel the heartbeat of our generations at times. The spirit, the pulse. What do you see? I can get no satisfaction. All the smiles on social media and yet people are lonely. With all the advancement in economics, in business, in society, in education, and yet hearts are starving of love and genuine acceptance. No meaning and purpose. What is this? It's famine in our times. So the son comes to his mindset, proper mindset. Of course, before that, he joins himself, right? Joins himself to a citizen of that territory. What is that? That is Satan in this story. Finally, when you're far from God, you begin to join to an imitation of your father. The imitation of this man. He thought by joining to this man, he will provide some food for me. But this man sent him to the pigs. See, when you, when you choose to follow an imitation of God, an imitation of your heavenly father, it could be uh, materialism, it could be um, because of uh, you want to be rich, you start getting corrupted. It, it could be whatever, worldly pleasures. When you choose an imitation of your heavenly father, rather than you being satisfied, that imitation will make you a slave and send you to the pigs. The pigs are evil spirits in symbolic story, symbolisms. You start hanging out. With unclean spirits. Why? 
you chose an imitation of your heavenly father. Every imitation is basically an idol. And behind that is the devil himself. In other words, you will become a slave. You'll be bound. You'll be miserable. And you will not get what you desire. He did not get anything that he wanted. The Bible says this man did not give him anything. The world is not going to give you anything. So he comes to his senses. Verse 17. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Suddenly, oh, my father is a good father. Even the servants in the house are taken well care of. Sometimes it takes crisis to realize how nice Nagaland is. With all our organic food and a beautiful weather and the fresh air. Right? Sometimes it takes a crisis to know how loving your father is. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He decides. The decision is important. Amen. See, you may not have the power to give up drugs. You may not have the power to give up your addiction and your sin. But you need to have a willingness in your mind and in your heart. You need to decide in your heart and say, this is wrong. I will go to God and ask Him for help. This is wrong. I will arise and I will trust in the grace of God. That decision, no one can make for you. Only you alone. So the son arose and he comes to the father. And what does he find? An angry father? A rebuking father? A condemning father? Let me show you these five pictures of our heavenly father in this father. Number one, a waiting father. Look at verse 20. His father saw him when he was still a great way off. Question. How did his father know when the son was coming, on which day he was coming, and which road he was taking? There is no way. Unless, this is what it means. Every day, the father was looking for his son. Every day, he would come back and look for his son. What is this? A waiting father. He was longing for his son to come home. This is a picture of a heavenly father. He's longing for the world to come to him. He's longing for us to share the message so that lost sons will come back to him. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus comes and quotes a scripture from the Old Testament that says, How long have I waited to bring Jerusalem under my wings? Expressing the heart of God. How long have I waited? Longing to bring his children under his wings. This is the heart of God. The second picture we see is, again, in verse 20. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Everyone say compassion. Compassionate father. The heart of God is not to punish or condemn. If it was me, or if it was a Bollywood father, Hindi movie father. So you have come back, huh? Huh? Rascal? Rascal has come back? Right? That is the way we would be. 
as an earthly father. We would want them to at least feel sorry for a little bit. We want to express our anger for at least a few days. Till they're really sorry. And of course, if you are a Korean father, make sure you're bowing down on your knees. But this father is a picture of a heavenly father. His heart is to forgive first. His heart is to give compassion. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, to avenge the world, but to save the world. Hallelujah. Third picture. And had compassion and ran. A running father. How undignified for fathers in those days and age to run. It's undignified. But did you know that our God is an undignified God? That on the cross, He was willing to be hung naked in front of the whole world so that He can take our shame. He can take our sin. And it was not only Jesus. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God was willing to take our shame so that we are redeemed. A running father. On the cross, God runs to you. He doesn't run with a stick. Why do Christians run away from God when they sin? When they're feeling guilty? No, pastor, I don't run from God. Then why do you run away when I call you on the street? When I come to your house, why do you take 20 minutes to come out of your bedroom? Right? You see, sometimes you're Expression towards God is also expression towards pastors. Because in your mind, pastors represent God. So, are you free with them or are you not free? The church, even. Amen. Hallelujah. The fourth picture we see is this. And fell on his neck and kissed him. What is that? A forgiving father. What is the kiss? It's a sign of acceptance in that culture, in the Middle East. See, when you go and you make a business deal with a sheikh in Arab, what do they do? They'll check your hand. Chumma. The kiss is a sign of acceptance. Of course, we are tribal people. We're up in the hills. We're so scared of whether they're going to take a head. So in our culture, we never give a head to kiss. Because somebody will take your head. <laughs> right? But in that culture, in the Middle East, a kiss is a sign of acceptance. What does it mean? The father is telling the son, I'm forgiving you. You are forgiven. Even before you confess, even before you ask. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the heart of a father. It's not to accuse, it's not to condemn, it is to forgive. Can you say Amen. Don't run from God when you sin, fearing His displeasure. He wants to forgive you. So the more you think God's an angry God, God's a judgmental God, you will go further away from God. But know this, His heart is always first, forgiveness. Can you say forgiveness? What, is, what else do we see? The son said to him, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what we all feel like. Because of our work, our sins, our weaknesses, 
We're not worthy for this blessing. I'm not worthy to be on the pulpit and to share my testimony. I'm not worthy to raise my hands. I'm not worthy to be a leader. I'm not worthy to be healed because of my sins. That's what we feel before a holy God. What did the father say? Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Even before he finished his sentence, the father said, stop, bring out the best robe. Put a ring on his hand. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the calf. Let's throw a party. Let's rejoice. Look at this picture. He was still smelling of pigs, you know, this son? Sweating on a journey. Right? When you, when you, when you, when you, and those days they didn't have cars. It's not like air conditioning is coming. Full of perfume. He's smelling of pigs. He's sweaty. He's dusty. But the father says, put a rope on him now. Ah, did you know that when you give your life to Christ, you may not have overcome your addiction. You may not have overcome your impatience and your anger. You may not be perfectly right in your behavior. But the moment you accept Jesus, boom, the rope of righteousness covers you. The moment you accept Jesus, you have the ring of authority. The moment you accept Jesus, you have sonship in the house, the position. Hallelujah! The moment you accept Jesus, God is rejoicing over you. He's not rejoicing over you when you become really patient, go up on the mountain, fast for 50 days, come down like Moses. Then Father rejoices over you. No! Even in your uncleanness, smelly Christian. Right? Just got born again yesterday, come to church, tattoos all over, maybe smelling a little bit of cigarette. But if you believe in Jesus, you are righteous. You are son. You have a position in the house. The father rejoices over you. Hallelujah. God celebrates you today. What a picture of a heavenly father. What a picture in this father. There was a girl called Catherine from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. When she came off of age, 18, 19, she told her mother, I want to leave the house. You're too controlling. I want to go and experience the world. And the mother was shocked because poverty drives people to extreme things. And you never know what a young girl all out in the world in the slums is going to experience. So the daughter just went. After three years, the mother's heart was filled with compassion for the daughter. So she took a picture of her daughter, made many copies of it, and wrote down the message at the end, went to those slums where she was, and she put that picture in every corner, in every restaurant, in every bar around that city. One day the daughter stumbled into the bathroom of a bar because she was drunk. She had given more than she had ever wanted to give. She had compromised more than she ever thought she would. When people had sucked out dry, she saw, to her shock, the picture of herself in the mirror of that bar. And since she took that picture and she looked outside and inside what was written at the back, 
And there was a message from the mother. And the mother had written, Christina, I'm sorry, Catherine, whatever you have done, wherever you have been, whatever you have become, just come home. Just come home. That is a picture of your heavenly father. Whatever you have done, wherever you have gone, whatever you have become, just come home. Just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.